If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Usually on a Christmas Sunday, I'd say turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Uh, but we're not there yet. We'll get there at the end of the service and get to hear the kids uh, read that passage of Scripture. Look forward to that. Um, but for now, we're in Luke chapter 1. And we'll be uh, in verses 39 to 56. Well, I'm not sure if you've heard, maybe you saw it in the news or um, as you were standing in the grocery store aisle looking at the magazines, uh, but Prince William and Princess Kate are going to have a baby um, of the United Kingdom. They're having a baby. Here's how the USA Today described it on December 4th. They said, the news that all of Britain, it's pretty intense, that all of Britain has been waiting for, Will and Kate are pregnant is more than just a boon for the baby-mad media. It's a reassuring symbol of continuity for the monarchy and, by extension, the United Kingdom itself. Girl or boy, it means a future sovereign for the British throne is on the way. Of course, baby-mad media is kind of an understatement. I'm sure that you can find websites with minute-by-minute reports on the baby and the mother available at the click of a mouse. <laughs> but if you can say that Britain has been waiting... Uh, for this news for the past, we would say, 20 months since Will and Kate have been married, then just think, just think about the children of Israel waiting since Adam and Eve for the promised seed, waiting for this one that God said would come to be the deliverer, to be the rescuer, to be the one that would crush the head of the serpent and bring peace. And then just think about Mary who has this visit from the angel Gabriel, and here's the news that she is going to be the one. She will be the one who will bear this long-awaited child, this king in the line of David, who is, in fact, the king of kings. Last week we left Mary in verse 38. The angel Gabriel had just uh, left after revealing to her what was going to happen, revealing that she was going to become pregnant with the Messiah, the very Son of God. And we saw her respond with this childlike faith, and yet surely her, her head had to be spinning, trying to wrap around what, what this meant. What is, what is going to happen here? But I think she also remembered in that moment something else that Gabriel had said. He said, your cousin, Elizabeth, is also going to have a baby. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought low the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So as we look at this part of the story, it would seem that Mary, as soon as she could, packs her bags and heads to the hill country to see Elizabeth. And we can imagine her on that journey, which may have taken as as much as maybe four days uh, traveling to see Elizabeth. We can imagine her pondering these things in her heart. as scripture tells us she does so often. And she's on this journey to, to visit her older and wiser cousin, this cousin who was in a situation at least somewhat similar to hers, wasn't the same, but maybe maybe Elizabeth would have some advice for Mary to help her process through and think through this. We find that uh, Mary arrives at Zechariah's house, and when she arrives, she greets her cousin Elizabeth. This would probably have been more uh, customary, more formal than maybe just a, hi Elizabeth, I'm here to visit you, but the text tells us that when that greeting hit Elizabeth's ears, two amazing things happen. First, it says that Elizabeth's baby, who is John the Baptist as as a baby, that baby leapt in her womb, leaped in her womb, whichever is the correct word, leaped in her womb. So Elizabeth now is, is six months pregnant, maybe a little bit beyond that. So surely she had probably felt the child move at this point. Um, but this is something... This is something very different. I asked my wife this week, I said, do you feel like you know you, um, you can relate to Elizabeth having been pregnant and having felt a child move? And I thought that would be a great illustration. She said, no, not really. <laughs> well, why not? She said, well, it seems like there's something unique going on. And this isn't movement just like, like any other movement. Because while Andrea has had that feeling, and many of you have had that feeling of a baby somersaulting inside, I've, I've never had that feeling. I have no idea what that feels like. Don't really have any interest in it either, um, but uh, even so, uh, it, it was such that. And Andrews had it too, where where the baby moves so much that she audibly cries out, "Whoa!" You know, something just happened. And here Elizabeth cries out, but there seems to be something unique that's going on here. It's it's an exuberant, excited, Holy Spirit inspired movement in response to Mary's greeting. This isn't because Elizabeth ate something weird. This isn't because Elizabeth was emotional. This is because John hears Mary's greeting and something arises in his heart and he moves. It's not a stretch then to say that this is a fulfillment of what Gabriel said to Zechariah, that John, this baby, would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist here, before he's even in the desert proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God, he's here in the womb and he's already announcing to his mother the arrival of the preborn baby Jesus in Mary's womb. John begins his role very early on. So that's the first amazing thing that happens. But at the same time that John was doing spirit-inspired somersaults of joy in Elizabeth's womb, Elizabeth is now filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a theme that runs throughout Luke and then into Acts. It's something that Luke really emphasizes, and we see that that here. It says in the text, it says that um, the baby leapt in her, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. I mean, this is she shouts in a sense. I, I think that the first one was kind of just sort of a whoa, or whatever the Hebrew or Aramaic equivalent of, of whoa is, and she, she said that, but then she's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and she exclaims loudly the verses in 40, verses 42 through 45. It's not as sophisticated as a song as we're going to see with Mary, but it is, it's a song still. And the song's theme is this. She says, Mary, we are blessed. Mary, we are blessed. We are fortunate. We are privileged. We have been shown amazing favor. We, but especially you. Now, why were they blessed? Let's think about three different ways that they were blessed. First, Mary is blessed because of the baby that she bore. Mary's blessed because of the baby she bore. It says in verse 42 that Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth tells Mary that she is the most blessed of all women. But it's not because of who Mary is, but in fact, the second part of the verse tells us why Mary is so blessed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She was blessed because of the fruit of the womb, of her womb, because of her child, because this child was the most blessed child of any child there ever was. Mary has been given this amazing privilege and the blessing of bearing the Son of God in her womb. So Mary is now fulfilling the role that everyone from Eve onward had desired to fill. The role of bearing the promised Messiah, bearing the Deliverer, the Rescuer of Israel, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And now little Mary has been chosen to be the bearer, not simply of the Messiah, but of God himself. And so because of that, she's said to be blessed more than all women, not because she was greater than all women, but because her child was greater than anyone who has ever walked the face of the earth, and in fact was God himself. So Mary is blessed because of the baby that she bore. Next, Mary is blessed because she believed. That's in verse 45. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary is blessed because she believed. Now, Elizabeth is not throwing her husband under the bus, but there is a sense in which she's drawing a contrast. She's saying, when Zechariah heard that I was going to have a baby, he didn't believe. He asked for a sign. But Mary, you are blessed because you believed. When angel, when the angel Gabriel said, this is going to happen, you said, I believe it. I believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Mary is such a wonderful example of humble, submissive faith. We saw that last week so clearly, and now Elizabeth is bringing that out here in this song. And so I would say, amidst all of the, the wrong thinking that surrounds Mary, we should, we should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We should regard her faith, her obedience, with awe. Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior like you and me, but she believed God, and her faith is a wonderful thing to behold. And so we should, we should recognize that she is blessed because she believed, just as in the long line, remember we saw with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we admire Abraham's faith, so too with Mary. So Mary's blessed because of the baby she bore. She's blessed because she believed. But Elizabeth is also blessed. Elizabeth is blessed, she says, because of her closeness to the Christ. We should notice this complete lack of jealousy. Elizabeth. Look at the way she responds in verse 43. She says, Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It would have made more sense, according to our worldly wisdom, for Elizabeth 
to bear the Messiah, and Mary to bear John the Baptist, because Elizabeth is older, she's wiser, she's, she's been faithful for longer, she's the daughter of a priest. I mean, it would make sense for her. She's a woman of fairly high standing. But Elizabeth doesn't bring that out. Elizabeth doesn't say, well, why am I only bearing the forerunner and you get to bear the Messiah? No, Elizabeth just rejoices at the fact that Mary is, is just in her presence and therefore the Messiah is there with her. Uh, this is a shadow, a picture of, of this great reversal that Jesus brings and Mary is going to highlight in her song. And we're going to talk about that great reversal that's going on here. But I just think we should pause for a moment and look at these two lovely women of faith. This elderly lady and her teenage cousin rejoicing together at the part that they get to play in the unfolding story of God's redemption. We should learn from Mary. We should learn from Mary that we are blessed not because of who we are, but because of our connection to Jesus. That left on our own, we have nothing to bring before God that is of any value. But if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then we are blessed beyond measure. Let's learn from Mary's faith that we would believe that nothing is impossible with God. Let's let's not question God's ability to do what he says he will. I would say, too, in this Christmas season, there may be some here that need to believe in Christ for the first time. You consider yourself blessed for many reasons, but you don't see the core of your blessing as coming from Christ. Your confidence may be in your works, in your deeds, in just who you are in general. Or maybe you just kind of think this is all made up. I would invite you through the example of Mary to believe, to believe that the child that she bore was the God-man, to believe that he lived a life that was free from sin so that he might save us from our sins, to believe that the baby born in Bethlehem was the Messiah, that he was our rescuer, that he was born to die, to take the penalty of our sins upon himself and to rise again, through the resurrection and give us new life. There's no greater gift than the new life that, gives, that Jesus gives us and the freedom that we then have from the threat of God's wrath. We have much that we can learn from Mary, but we can also learn from Elizabeth, I think. Elizabeth was blessed because of her closeness to the Christ. We can learn from Elizabeth, who I think taught John pretty well. John's whole ministry was to point to Christ. And Elizabeth here rejoices just at the opportunity to point to Christ. We should learn to rejoice at whatever role God has given us in telling the, his greatness and his glory. We might rejoice around those who have been given greater privileges, but, but we just can be in their presence and we can, we can join in rejoicing with them. And we can rejoice that that we are able to be signposts, that we're able to just point to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So these two wonderful women of faith begin to reveal this, this theme that continues to be developed in the Gospel of Luke, and it's this theme of a, of a great reversal, that those who are regarded as great in this world will be brought low. And those who are low and humble will be raised up and exalted in the kingdom of God. This really comes out in Mary's song in verses 46 through 55. Mary responds to Elizabeth's song with a song of her own. 
I think maybe it was one that she could have written as she pondered Gabriel's words on her way to visit Elizabeth. She had four days to think. But it's a song that reflects a really deep knowledge of the Old Testament. There's many shadows of the Old Testament here, and especially of uh, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah, who in her old age became pregnant uh, and had Samuel. And if you are looking for a Bible study to do in the next couple of days, maybe you've got some time off work, uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, read Hannah's song, and then go here to, to Luke chapter 1 and, and look at Mary's song and draw them side by side. You'll see some wonderful parallels. I think it would be a, a really fruitful study. We don't have time to do that this morning, but we could point to a few things here from, from Mary's song. I think I just want to summarize it in this way. I think that the message that we can take this morning is this, that Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. In the first verses here, verses 46 through 49, Mary sees herself as an example of this reversal, as, as an example of this exaltation of the lowly and the humble. And in verse 46 through 49, she magnifies God for his regard for her, for his blessing on her, for his mercy towards her. He mag she magnifies God, magnify. It's, it's a word that, that gives us the song, um, that, that it, this, it gives us the title that this song is often known as. This is known as Mary's Magnificat. Uh, the Magnificat comes from the, the Latin translation of the first word of this song, magnify. John Piper talks helpfully about what magnification means. There's a couple ways to think about magnification. We can think about it in terms of a microscope or in terms of a telescope. A microscope takes something that is, that is truly and really small and makes it look bigger than it really is. It magnifies it. If you don't want to think about a, mi a microscope, just think about a magnifying glass. It makes something that's small look bigger. A, a telescope takes something that, that is truly great but that appears small because of its distance from us. It takes that and it magnifies it so that it looks like it really is. So you can think about massive stars and planets that look like pinpricks of light in the sky, but a telescope magnifies them and helps us to see the true greatness of those stars and of those planets. Mary is magnifying God, not in a microscope way, but in a telescope way. God can often seem distant, and we do not really see who he is, but Mary brings him close and magnifies the greatness of who he is. She magnifies his holiness. She magnifies his mercy and his might. She magnifies this truth that God has regard for the lowly. And the magnification of God is a source of joy for her. Look, look at this beautiful, the, the way that this is structured, just the first two verses there. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is a great example of, in poetry, parallelism. So these two lines are parallel, and we can match things up. My soul would match up with my spirit. I don't think Mary is making a theology of, of the body. She's just talking about her inner being, who I really truly am, my soul, my spirit. So those match up. But at the end, we see the Lord. And God my Savior, there's a parallel there. The Lord, God my Savior, they're parallel. What's left? Magnifies and rejoices. It's interesting to think, as Mary magnifies God, 
She is truly rejoicing. Mary does not magnify herself. If she magnified herself, it would not be in the telescope sense. It would be in the microscope sense of taking something small and making it look greater than it really is. But rather she humbles herself and she exalts God so that she's filled with awe. She's struck with the fact that God has chosen her. God has shown such favor to her and therefore she rejoices. Brothers and sisters, this is true joy. This is true joy when we recognize who we are, like Mary did. When we see how humble we are, this is how she talks about herself. She says um, in verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's how she always refers to herself. I'm a servant. I'm, I'm humble before the Lord. This is joy. When we see ourselves for who we really are, that we are humble, that, that we are servants of the Lord. When we, and then in, in Joined with that, we magnify God. We see God for who he really is. We see the greatness of who he is. And when we see how low we are, and we see how magnificent God is, and then when he comes to us in Christ and shows us blessing, then we rejoice. But it's only an understanding who we are, humbling ourselves, seeing that we do not deserve to be magnified. But magnifying God, seeing the greatness of who he is, and then when he comes and visits us and shows us favor in Christ, then we rejoice with joy inexpressible because we understand how amazing his mercy towards us is. If we don't get to that place of seeing ourselves rightly and seeing God rightly, then we will never have true joy or understand what the blessing is like Mary did because God doesn't exalt the prideful. He exalts the lowly. The rest of the song continues to reveal that Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. Who is looked down on in this passage? Who is shown in, in a somewhat bad light? We can see in verse 51, first of all, it's, it's the proud. Verse 51 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Those who view themselves as larger than life through the microscope of their own arrogance are scattered. They're scattered like, like ants whose hill gets crushed by a two-year-old. The proud are scattered by God. Who else is looked down on? The mighty, verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Those who, who sit on thrones and appear powerful are pulled down from their high position by God. And they're made like the rich man, with the rich man in Lazarus, who in this life was exalted, but in the life to come, he was in torment. The proud, the mighty, what about the rich? 53 has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Those who are full of things in this earth, and whose stomachs have never rumbled with hunger for food, or, or hunger for mercy... They're sent away from God. They're sent away empty-handed. They have nothing to carry. And their bellies are empty. And they're made to drink the cup of God's wrath. In the presence of Jesus, the exalted of the world are brought low. Don't desire to be them. Don't desire to be the proud and the mighty and the rich. The exalted are brought low. But the low 
The low are exalted, and Mary rejoices in this, and so should we. The humble, the humble, uh, this humble servant, Mary, she says, I have been, I've been lifted up, I've been exalted. Those who have, who have never done anything great, or, or uh, who do not look at themselves as having done anything great, who understand who they really are, have been chosen by God to be great and to do great things for God. The humble, the servants, those who, who waited on those who sat in those high thrones. Well, those, those folks in the thrones have been pulled down and God takes the servants and replaces those rulers that he's pulled down with the servant and he exalts them. He makes us princes and princes and princesses and joint heirs with the son. We are children of the king and we sit on thrones, the humble, the servants, the hungry. He's filled the hungry with good things, verse 53 says. Those who have felt the physical need for food, along with all those who have had a spiritual longing for grace and mercy, Jesus comes so that he can give us a bottomless bowl of mercy and grace and fill our stomachs with good things. Mary reminds us here that Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. And he does it in fulfillment of his promise. Verses 54 and 55 say he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Our study in Abraham, God said he would do this. He said that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And he does it. He fulfills his word. He does what he says he will do. Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. He came to look on those who are humble. He came to look on the unpretentious who know their place at the back of the line. He came to look on those who are lowly, would never assume a place of honor at the table of a friend, let alone the table of a king. That's who Jesus came for. He came to show mercy, the text says, to those who fear him, to those who would bow in reverence before him, respect him as king, to those who know that they deserve his wrath. Jesus came to show them unmerited favor, to withhold what what we deserve so that he might lavish us with treasures that we could never earn. Jesus comes with this strong arm, it says, to scatter those who may never say aloud how great they think they are, but their, their hearts are filled with pride. And he, they are laid bare before God. He sees their hearts laid bare. He comes in might to pull down those who think that they are mighty, to pull down them down off of their man-made thrones of power and to replace their positions with people of humility, with those who hang their heads low in reverence, with those who beat their chests and cry out, God have mercy on me, a sinner, with people who, who serve with their entire life and as Luke will tell us later, come in and say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done what we were supposed to do. He's come to fill the hungry with good things, to replace their bread and water with the feasts of the rich so that he might send the rich in this world away empty-handed, with empty stomachs. He's come for his children. He's come for his servants. He's come because, he's come because he promised he would. He came because he told Adam that, a seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. He came because he told Abraham that all nations of the earth will be blessed through 
you. And he came because he told David that someone would sit on his throne forever. And he came like those he came to save. He came in humility. He came hungry. He came as a man of sorrows who knew hunger and humility. He emptied himself. He was despised. He was rejected. He had nowhere to lay his head. He came as a helpless baby born to an insignificant couple in the midst of scandal and murder so that he could be magnified and raised up and save his lost sheep. And in coming as he did, he came for those of us who would see the emptiness of our pride, who would see the emptiness of our cupboards, who would see the emptiness of our bank accounts and our stomachs, and then ask Jesus to fill us, to fill our hands, to fill our hearts, to fill our mouths with the wonders of salvation. And ultimately he came to die so that we might die to sin, and he came to live so that we might live with him forever. Jesus came to bring low the exalted and to exalt the lowly. So this Christmas, as we gather around, we consider this God-man as an infant. Let's let's come in humility. Let's come in, in poverty. Let's come in want and in need. Let's come as who we truly are. It's only when we come like that can we receive Christ. It's in seeing who we truly are. If, if we see that, then we can magnify God for who He truly is. We can bring Him near to our eyes and to the eyes of others. It's only when we see ourselves rightly and see God rightly that we can then truly have joy at Christmas. When we regard ourselves as servants when our stomachs growl with hunger for the mercy of God. When we see him rightly in his exalted state and we see ourselves rightly in our lowly state, then when he comes to us as our Savior in Jesus, willing to humble himself to humanity, willing to humble himself to death, willing to humble himself all the way to the death of a cross, then our spirits will truly rejoice. We'll rejoice with Elizabeth and with Mary, and with John in the womb, and with all those who have been saved in the past, who saw who they they truly were, we will rejoice because we will recognize that we're not saved. We're not shown blessing because of who we are. We're shown blessing by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray this morning you would humble us. Jesus, show us who we really are. We we try so often to put ourselves under the microscope of our pride and make ourselves look great. Lord, help us to see how truly small we are. And as we fade to the background, Lord, I pray that you would come near that you would magnify yourself in our eyes, in our hearts, that we would see how truly great you are, Lord. And then and then, when we look at the cross to say, God has blessed me, God has shown favor to me, a servant, 
one who's hungry, in need, poverty. Lord, how could we not rejoice at that? But if we see who you are, if we see who we are, then our hearts will be filled with unspeakable joy to think, to think that you chose to become man, to become a baby, to live in this world and then to die a horrible death for our sins, to do that so that you could save us. Lord, there is no other joy. There's nothing that can be put under a tree that could compare to that. And so we rejoice with true joy at the real miracle of Christmas, God, that you have chosen to exalt the lowly, and we are lowly, and we receive the gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we pray in the name of Jesus alone. Amen.